0: Business rock stars, Kelly Kennedy here. And today I wanted to introduce you to my business, Capital Business Development, where we don't just see businesses, we see your potential to change the world. We see your passion, your dedication, and drive to do something extraordinary. And we're here to help you bring that vision to life. At Capital Business Development, we understand that behind every business is a visionary, someone with the determination to make a difference. Whether you're a startup with a big idea or an established company aiming to expand your impact, we're here to support you every step of the way. Our mission goes beyond traditional business development. We're committed to nurturing your dreams and empowering you to achieve greatness. From strategic planning and networking to hands-on support and personalized coaching, we provide the tools and guidance you need to succeed. So if you're ready to transform your vision into reality, look no further than Capital Business Development. Visit us today at www.capitalbd.ca to learn more about how we can help you unleash your potential to change the world. Your dreams matter. Let's make them happen together. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Welcome to episode 54 of the Business Development Podcast. And if you've ever had questions regarding corporate culture, we have organizational psychologist Justin Dionne Ryan with us, founder of Culture Shift Consulting. Stay tuned.
1: The great Mark Cuban once said, business happens over years and years. Value is measured in the total upside of a business relationship not by how much you squeezed out in any one deal and we couldn't agree more this is Is the the business Business development Podcast. podcast based in edmonton alberta canada and broadcasting to the world You'll get expert business development advice, tips, and experiences. And you'll hear interviews with business owners, CEOs, and business development reps. You'll get actionable advice on how to grow business. Brought to you by Capital Business Development, capitalbd.ca. Let's do it. Welcome Welcome to the the Business Development Development Podcast. Podcast. And And now, your your expert expert host, Kelly Kelly Kennedy. Kennedy.
0: Hello, welcome to episode 54 of the Business Development Podcast. And today we have an absolutely amazing expert interview for you. Have you ever wondered about culture in your company or were thinking about what is organizational psychology? Even I was naive before I met Justin D'Onerain. But today we are going to bring you up to speed. Meet Justin a visionary organizational psychologist and the brilliant mind behind Culture Shift Consulting. With a passion for transforming workplaces into havens of purpose and fulfillment, he has mastered the art of applying data-driven decision-making to revolutionize recruitment, leadership, and corporate culture. In today's fast-paced world, where mental well-being in the workplace has reached an all-time low, Justin stands as a beacon of hope, committed to bringing back the essence of humanity to human capital. Through his expertise and unwavering dedication, he empowers companies to create environments where employees thrive, finding meaning and truly value their work. Having traversed the globe, working with organizations of all sizes and across diverse industries, be it for profit or nonprofit, or even government sectors, Justin's insights have transcended ba- uh, borders and boundaries. His cross-culture experience has honed his ability to craft tailored strategies that resonate with each unique context, making him a sought-after consultant in the field. Beyond his hands-on work, Justin's voice resonates through the pages of prestigious publications such as Inc.com and renowned Canadian HR outlets like Canadian HR Director and CPHR Alberta. His thought-provoking articles on leadership, corporate culture, innovation, and entrepreneurship provide a window into his wealth of knowledge and passion for driving positive change in the workplace. As we embark on a journey to redefine how organizations view and nurture the most valuable asset, their people, Justin's mission to foster a culture of empathy, compassion, and growth has never been more relevant. Let us delve into the world of Culture Shift Consulting, where data-driven transformations pave the way for a brighter, more fulfilling future for employees and employers alike. Justin, it's a pleasure to have you on the show.
2: How are you today? great it's it's beautiful out it's sunny really really enjoying that and and thank you for having me thank you for inviting me ken. oh it's it's an absolute pleasure i know we met very briefly before in a in a
0: virtual coffee with the chamber and you know it's unfortunate because uh we didn't get too much time to chat in that but you know you know obviously i have very close connections with the edmonton chamber of commerce and me and ken were uh we're having a conversation and he goes you need to talk to justin Dionerain. he knows everything when it comes to organizational psychology. And I looked at him and I goes, what, what is organizational psychology? <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know what, if Ken thinks this is a good idea, I should definitely reach out to Justin. And then when we, we started talking, I was like, you know what, absolutely, this is critical. Uh, you know, I think if I'm, you know, a little blind to it, I'm sure a lot of people are. So this would be a great opportunity to educate the world and
2: learn a little bit more about how we improve company culture. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a common reaction. It, it, it's we are really uh, organizational psychologists are actually all around the world. Um, but unless you're like, for example, in H.R., you you tend not to know that we exist that's that is one of the downsides it, it, it seems like a really niche area mm-hmm. um i've been confused for marie kondo uh oh so you you put the psychology behind organization <laughs> oh okay uh, so um it, it is it is not a well-known fa- uh area but it is actually very popular especially when you take a look at the larger organizations those with a large hr team they are very well aware of it and that is the the mistake that people use with it or have about organizational psychology is that it's only for the big companies yeah. it's actually for everyone the solopreneurs up and and that's where some of the uh, some of the 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 um miss the, the the mistakes or the 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 assumptions that I that I end up having to address or, or, or educate about so
0: yeah yeah no I, I totally agree with you because at the end of the day corporate culture and being able to you know being able to treat your employees well to encourage them to help them grow is ultimately going to foster employee retention which is probably one of the biggest challenges that any organization struggles with because it is expensive to train employees we don't talk about this But it costs a lot of money to train employees and get them to a level where they are productive for your business. And if you can't keep them, it will kill you.
2: Yeah. And even sometimes it's at the hiring level. Um, If a, A bad hire costs way more than just their salary for the three or six months that you keep them, especially if you get it wrong at the higher levels. Say it's a VP of business development. How much, how many clients could you potentially lose how much talent could you potentially lose the impacts in six months can be can be um astronomical sometimes depending
0: on the role right yes you know you know and i talk about this with all my with all my clients as well as we sit down and i say look anybody representing your company is as far as the customer's concerned, your company, right? Yeah. And you're yeah, absolutely exactly. right. So it's critical to put anybody who's going to have any type of outward face or interaction, you know, whether that nowadays be even through socials, right? Like they don't have to have direct interaction, but even indirect interaction has negative consequences if done incorrectly, right? Yeah. And yeah, so absolutely, absolutely. Exactly. You, you, totally, you have to make sure that the people that you're that are representing your company are representing it well, and frankly, also like the company they work for. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> so justin take me back to the beginning you know you know you've been a, you've been in psychology a very long time you know we were chatting before this it's been over 13 years at this point you know what made you choose this path
2: it was really interesting because when i was say 18 19 i wanted to be a video game designer that's a great <laughs> <app>. <laughs> it, it, It's all of a sudden, like, how did you go from video game designer to organizational? It's like, yeah. oh, so um, really what fascinated me the most was artificial intelligence. So. My undergrad was was cognitive sciences, which is the foundation for AI. Um, so this is before AI, before chat GBT, before all these, uh, these things that we know of today, before they were even considered possible. Mm-hmm. That's what I was studying. Um, and a lot of it was, how do we model human behavior in computers to be able to then help people improve their performance so it's always about performance improvement and i was looking at things like vision hearing memory attention right so some of those things that are more that are that impact performance in the workplace but are more of a basic level more of the neuro neurological mm-hmm. level um and i i did that my master's the start of my phd for that when i left my phd um i actually that's how i transitioned over to organizational psychology because a lot of the information that i that i was researching that i had in cognitive neuroscience was missing was not known was not well known was not well harnessed that performance improvement at the basic level uh, at the neurological level so when i transitioned from academia to industry that's when i made the switch to organizational psychology and i started developing assessments uh, personality emotional intelligence um, those types of assessments that maybe some of you have taken Um, and, and those things are what I still tend to gravitate towards in terms of helping people improve their performance. It's that baseline, right? So that's how I made the switch into organizational psychology. So,
0: okay. You know, you touched on the assessments, right? We've all done them, right? If we've been, if you've been an executive in any business, you've done, you know, personality assessments or whatever else, you know, I've probably done them 15 times at this point in my life. (laughs) And it's, you know, I think one of the challenges, and this is something that even uh, me and my fiance were chatting about, uh, because she was thinking about maybe implementing them for her team. And she goes, Okay, well, great. We have this information we have, you know, but how in the world do we implement it into day to day life at our organization? I think that's where all organizations like struggle. It's easy to implement a personality test and get results. But what's hard is what do you do with it after that? Like what, how do you implement it? Maybe you can shed some light on that, because I'm sure we've all faced it.
2: Sure. Um I, I think the first thing with with assessments, you've taken like fifteen different types, and I'm guessing probably about eighty to ninety percent of them were probably a little bit flawed. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah well they, um, they all you know what
0: i found they changed through time as i evolved and, yes. and that makes sense right i guess they would change as you change right my assessment from when i was 21 is not the same as my assessment
2: at 31 right different yeah. different kelly at that point right <laughs> different kelly um some of them would some of them wouldn't yeah. it, it really depends um but what i have found throughout throughout working in the industry is there's a lot of assessments out there that are not reliable okay that are not valid and that's the challenge because they all look the same Mm. so wading through which ones are helpful and which ones aren't because if they're not reliable and valid you don't really know what you're getting. Now to 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 answer your question say you do have something that's reliable and valid and that works. Okay, so how do I now implement those? I think that's sometimes where organizational psychologists come into play or organizational psychology comes into yeah. play because you take a look at what HR, organizational development, training and training and development, the learning teams, they use organizational psychology principles. So really it's a matter of Taking the information and converting it into something actionable. And that varies depending on the individual. So I always say start with their strengths and challenges. Where are the areas that they can, where are some, like one or two areas that they can harness, strengths that they can harness? And what are one or two challenges that they could improve on, mm-hmm. that they could really work on and develop? And how do they need to adapt accordingly? So Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. I think one of the
0: challenges that we face uh, when when this is happening, and and you know I, this is one of the conversations that uh, me and my fiance had was, okay, let's say that you have identified the, ch- the the more challenging areas. However, you know they perform a certain task in your organization, they perform that well. It doesn't necessarily get interfered with by these by the negatives per se, and yeah. even if it does, it's very minor. Do you still need to help that employee improve with those negatives, even though it's not part of their day to day tasks?
2: depends on whether you want to retain them or not. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, so that's, that's, that uh, uh, honestly, I would say if you're taking the time to do an assessment with, with an individual, it's worth the investing the time, even if it's not something that immediately looks like it's going to be a benefit to their performance or to their role, you never know how it's going to help overall. So if you're taking the time to invest into them for the assessment, Mm -hmm. take the time to invest into development them professionally because not only does it give you does it give them a bit of an extra challenge and again you never know how what they learn will actually improve their performance overall it also shows that they're valued that hey we want to invest in you we see potential in you we want we we care about Mm -hmm. you we want to we want to help you grow we want to help you develop and in turn, that's one of the, the keys to retention, showing people that you value them, right yeah. so if they're valued, we're putting this investment in, yeah, sure, it may not be immediately applicable, but you never know when, and we're willing to put that time into you. yes yes, absolutely I, I completely
0: agree you have to you have to invest in your employees it's just I think a lot of companies struggle with where to do it where to do it. And I know that even, you know, I I look at our organization and say, okay, here's the skills that we need to have to do our jobs effectively. Here's where I would per se, invest that money is to make them more effective at those particular tasks. But what you're saying is, you should also look at tasks that are not necessarily part of their key day to day, but you want to
2: invest in their own overall growth as a as a person. Exactly. If you take a look at soft skills as a whole, emotional intelligence, growing in one area of soft skills, you never know what other impacts it might have for other for other areas of soft skills. So if you help them improve something like um their social confidence you never know where where it might help them with with other areas if you take a look at something like um assertiveness you never know where it may help them in other areas so I'll give you a good example I I know an individual who was going into a a new role into a higher role and and he came to me and and he said hey I don't feel like I've got the assertiveness for this role, so we did a a little bit of assessments in emotional intelligence and took a look at his at his assertiveness score and and yeah, it was a little bit below average. So he wasn't he wasn't quite there. We worked on a few things that he could do to build that 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 assertiveness so that he can have that debate or have that conversation especially if it's a tough conversation he was going into first time management Mm -hmm. so to have that tough conversation as needed and he wasn't ready for it but that's where helping him grow with that all of a sudden i start to notice other things like his confidence increase his ambition started to go up he's like Oh, you know, maybe I should try for this higher role, and he got mm-hmm. it right. So you start to see other things start to improve, start to um, start to really become refined. He started to come come out onto his into his own in ways that he wasn't specifically trying to work. It's on. a it's a snowball effect.
0: Yes. Once the snowball, yes. once you get a small win, then another win, then another win, and it just starts compounding. Exactly. Now tell me about the opposite.
2: The opposite turn also of...
0: happen, correct? Where they're not being looked after,
2: and then oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, I wouldn't say it's that their skills, that their soft skills or their talents are decreasing. It's that it's motivation. motivation. Um, if if you don't, so say the worst thing I see. Okay, we're going to do these assessments with you. The assessment's done. Here's a report. Good luck. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, I, OK, I, mean, I guess we're going to do nothing with this. That's how, right? that's how
0: assessments have been run in every organization or class that I've ever been in.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, so now think about it from your perspective. You get this report, you read through it. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah. Now, what do you do? That's with right. Them? That's right. It's like okay, great. Right. Yeah. What do I? You file it away somewhere yeah. in 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 a in a fold in a drawer, and it's when you meet someone like me. Have you ever taken this assessment? Have you? <laughs> oh yeah, I've got this entire file folder of assessments. Yeah. You pull out the drawer. <laughs> oh, here's that. What I've done. Here's what I've yeah. done. Right. So what you what a lot of companies don't realize what a lot of managers don't realize if you give somebody hey here's here's something to start with, and there's no follow up mm-hmm. it's like an empty promise right we we're going to invest into you, we're going to train you, we're gonna develop you, and then nothing happens well, then they look at it and say, "Well, you're not doing anything anyways so Where's my incentive to improve? Where's my incentive to give you more? Mm. Where's my incentive to stick around if somebody else comes to me with an opportunity that gives me more? Yes. Right? Yes. It's it's really interesting because one of the things I work with with people is with individuals is career values. So what do what does somebody actually value in their career? are do, do they want more money do they want more work life balance do they want more training and and it's really interesting one of the things that that's come up over time that has raised in in value over time is training and development yes yeah so i i think you kind of hit the nail on
0: the head is that people want to be challenged right we yeah. want cha- like yeah. we don't want to get stagnant in what we're doing because if we start to feel like you know, we're not, you know, we've hit the top and you don't mean this happens with high level executives too. If they hit a wall, the wall is what kills them. Right? Like, you know what I mean? You see, you see, and I don't know how true, you know, you might know the truth of this more, but you see high level CEOs tend to swap out of companies usually every five years. And I wonder how much of that is because not because they weren't doing an amazing job, but because they, they had nowhere else to go. The only place to go is to the next company.
2: I think there's 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 a little bit of truth in that. I think it depends on the individual too. So, I mean, somebody who's a bit higher ambition will probably change a little bit more, right? If you're in that moderate ambition, you might stick out a little bit more. You still do want to move up eventually. But it's really interesting that you bring up that example because research has actually shown that when a CEO switches... Um, positions from one company to another, they are actually about 70% less effective in the next role wow. because they don't know the, 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 culture they haven't been in there mm-hmm. long enough to really be as effective. The part of their effectiveness is those intangibles, the things that not not their critical thinking, not their intelligence, not their 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 experience it's those intangibles, their connections, their influence the 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 building that network within the organization to know who, when, where, and how to get things done, and they come in in the first year they're like seventy percent they're about seventy percent less effective because they need to reestablish yeah. Them now why they move over part of it could be yes that that boredom part of it could be they've they've accomplished what they can and they're looking for the new challenge part of it could be that they're just looking for that new opportunity hey something else has come come along and this other organization that's doing something similar especially like you take a look at the tech firms they're they top executives move around quite a yeah. bit um if you take a look at or, or within banks, for example, within the same industry, I can take what I've done here and help someone else. Right. So that and that's some of that's that entrepreneurial spirit sure. right there. How can I build? How can I build? Right. Yes. Yes. No, I agree. I, I, I always just found it kind of curious.
0: Right. And that was definitely one of the things that had crossed my mind when we were talking about essentially stagnation. Is that sometimes yes. you hit a point where you're just feeling stagnant? And I do wonder how much that actually plays into, you know, a lot of organizational change. Because, you know, I think most companies, as long as you know the the management is is great and they they work well with their teams, there's not a lot of animosity. It it's not necessarily enough. You like you said, you still have to you still have to challenge your employees. You still have to provide growth yeah. opportunities because even if you're a great organization, you still need you know the employee needs something. The employee needs to feel like they have something to reach towards.
2: And I would I would say it depends, on, and I'm glad you defined those specifics on that because yes, a what what the hallmark of a great organization is investing into your people. So that's when people don't leave when they feel that they're valued. They could feel valued. They could have a great relationship with their manager. But if they're not growing, it will be they will be. If they have a great relationship with their manager and 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 they like where they where they are and what they're doing, yeah. the bar will be higher. It will require more for them to move yeah. on. But I have seen those individuals move on still, right? Really? But if there's if you're providing that training, that growth, those opportunities, it's actually really it, when another offer comes along. If somebody say somebody some a headhunter comes along and tries to poach them, they really really carefully evaluate is this worth going Mm -hmm. to it's the golden handcuffs the more you you provide an 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 employee the more training the more support the more they feel valued the harder it is for them to walk away to a new situation and say i'm going to take a risk leaving it's a risk reward right I'm going to take the risk in leaving because there's the grass is the grass greener on the other side or is it as the, the the ever so famous example goes or is the grass greener on the other side because there's spray painting. In green. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so,
0: totally. That's it. You don't know until you figure it out. But usually by the time you do, it's too late. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I have you know what? We haven't talked about this, but you ha you got my brains turning and we're talking about motivations in people and and you know the lengths of times per se that people spend in different positions and it got me thinking you know if i go back to my dad's generation right my dad's generation uh you know you stayed at a company for 30 40 years right like you had a great job you just you stuck it out you stuck it out come hell or high water you know how is that changing as the generations move forward and are there different ways you know in organizational psychology to work with these new generations
2: yep um definitely it is changing uh that, that's uh, the gig economy it, it's what we call the gig economy right so so comparatively to the company man mentality where you you go somewhere you stay there the you take care of the company you you provide your loyalty to the company and the company rewards you in the end with a retirement package with takes care of you in the mm-hmm. end right as soon as those things started to get removed, as soon as we got rid of pen uh, of of uh, retirement plans, as soon as we got rid of those, we opened the organizations open up the market well now you're just basically hiring gig people mm-hmm. right they're going to come in and some people come in and will still do that i know companies that have that have young younger employees who have been there for 15 20 years because they feel valued they have career growth that but they're not going to stay in the same role with doing the same thing for that that amount of time now right so That's where I find things have changed a little bit. Um, sometimes if it's used ineffectively, they call it quiet promotion or quiet hiring, where all of a sudden you're stacking on more and more job requirements, but you're not giving them any sort of promotion in in, like to 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 accommodate for that. The best companies I've seen have stacked on those new responsibilities, and then when they hit a certain plateau, they gave them a senior title or yeah. something like that with a little bit more pay to, to reflect their new responsibilities. Hey, we've been, we've been giving you these challenges. You have risen to the challenge. So now we're going to reward yeah. you. Right. Yeah. Um, so really some of it, what it comes down to the differences first off with the younger generation, millennials, for example, I'm a millennial, yeah, right. Me too. With millennials, Gen Z, you're, you're going to expect that the, they might turn over despite your best efforts because it is a bit of a gig economy. Um, They know like take the banks, for example, it's well known within the, within the Canadian banks that if you do not jump between banks, you are probably not going to rise up that high. Mm. You need to jump from bank to bank to bank and take your opportunities in order to rise higher. Yes. If you can provide that mobility internally, which is what I'm seeing a lot of larger organizations are trying to work towards today. That's one way they're trying to to combat that. Let's, when they get in here, if we see them as a high potential after, you know, they've been here two or three years, we see them as a high potential. Let's chart out this career path for them. Yeah so they know if they stay here here's what we're going to try to do here's how we're going to try to raise their their status within the company here's how we're going to try to give them career progression so that and and it could be in a way that we'll sit down and we'll work with them to plan that out right yeah. so it it's it's it is different it is a little bit different there is a little bit more effort. It's not that you can't take it for granted anymore that they're just going to be. There, yeah, right. Yeah. No, for sure. And do you see that? Like, I'll tell you one of the challenges that
0: I'm seeing in the business development field. Okay. And that's where we have organizations that are hiring business development people that have completely, you know, that for whatever their reasons have completely dropped the older ways of doing business development, which is actual interaction, right? <laughs> like yeah, direct yeah. phone calls, direct emails in favor of a social, a more socially oriented system where a passive system, I like to call it where, yeah, we'll put out all these ads, and we'll just wait for the phone to ring. And, it, and it's genuinely a fear. And part of my goal with this show is to like remind people that no, 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 that we need to get ahead of this, we still need to make phone calls, we still need to have human to human interaction. And I, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid for business moving forward that, you know, it's going to suffer if we can't kind of go back to human interaction, to encourage human interaction with the show. That's what I'm always trying to do is, you know, bring you yeah. back to more of an active marketing strategy where we're directly getting in front of people. We're going for lunch. We're going for meetings. We're having human yes. connection. We're building real yeah. relationships, right? And it's, it's a little bit scary because I'm definitely seeing the trend go the other way. And
2: yep. I'm really wondering what that might mean for the future of business. So it, it's really interesting. I mean, let's talk about organizational psychology and business development, right? Let's 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 talk about how they they they, they collide. Um, yes, I have been seeing that in terms of in terms of business development myself. But what I've also been seeing is that the approaches and the challenge uh, the approaches that people take. Is still around the same. If we talk about normal distribution, you have people on one side who like the more passive approach. You ha- have people on the other side that like the more um, active. The I call it the the hunter and the farmer mentality, right? So you have you have about the same distribution across generations. That's the amazing part. Despite these these societal trends when you take a look at the individual level their personality traits are still the same they just express them differently now what you may see this is one of the challenges is when you take a look at an ibm sales team for example those traits that you're talking about getting in front of people having having those lunches things like that they're you take a look at their high performing sales team, that's what they're doing. So the talent is out there. Just what I'm finding is it's not as easy to identify who's going to be doing that or mm-hmm. not. So I'll give you a good example for my own clients because I do do I do help organizations with that hiring side of things because retention is one side but it's also finding the people it's how can we help them grow grow, but how do we find the people and know how they need to grow in the first place? and what we find what i'm finding over time is that it is normally distributed you have your same amount of hunters you have your same amount of farmers no matter the age group right so it's just you identifying the, the at, say at the younger generation identifying the differences between the yeah. two is not as easy okay so that's where i find you have to take a look at a little bit deeper the 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 methods of resumes interviews for example in the past that could find these individuals aren't working anymore. So that's where businesses need to update their strategies. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally
0: agree. And I think, you know, there's different strategies that work for different types of business as well, right? Yeah. Um, like in my experience, if you're doing business to business relationship building, an active strategy just works better. It really does. Yes. But if you're doing B2C, you know, you're, 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 you're you know, the guy buying things on Instagram, that's a great, that's, that works, man. Like social, social yeah. marketing for B2C works amazing. But yes. it does not necessarily work, like you said, if you're trying to sell things to IBM. So, <laughs> exactly, yeah. So you, yeah, you need you need two different approaches depending on what you're doing. Hundred percent. But yeah, it's yeah. um, it is a little bit concerning because I know you know there's a bit of a social gap in, in some of these newer, younger kids, and you know, yeah. it's it's not their fault. That's the thing. It's not their fault. It's just the generation they grew up in, the lifestyle. You know, we, like we built all these great things, and they got a little bit antisocial, right?
2: <laughs> And I would challenge that, but continue, continue the the (laughs) thought. I'm just, I'm just just warning you. I'm going to (laughs) challenge No, fair enough.
0: But I think, but I think, and this is where I'm going to hopefully win my, win my credibility back here they're still willing to learn, they're still willing to turn it around. And I think that it's our job as employers, especially with this new generation to give them that little bit extra time that they need. And to really explain they're in a generation that you know, they've grown up with information, you need to tell them why and they need to believe why. (laughs) If you can tell them why and they believe why they're going to get on board. But you can't just say, hey, do it this way because we've always done it this way, or they're going to challenge the crap out of you, you need to give them the reasons why.
2: And and I would take that one step further. You have to not only give not only just the reasons why. It's the they have to believe in what they're yes. doing. There is that is one of the that is one of the broader trends. The differences that you see between the with the new generation is if they don't believe in what they're doing. It, It's a lot harder to to keep them. They have to believe. So that's where you see nonprofits are having a a lot easier time sometimes retaining because you have people coming in. They believe in the mission. They believe in, in the vision. They believe in what they're doing. They feel like it's helping. So even though you know nonprofits pay less, right? Yeah. Even though they're not making as much money, it might be a little bit more work. They 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 buy into that value, right? They buy into that I am helping somebody. Yes. So if they don't believe in what they're doing, and I mean it, I I have no millennials who who do light bulb uh, industrial lighting sales, and really really good at it love their job believe in it right you don't have to be a nonprofit profit to build that to build that connection with the, vi- the vision the mission yes. and the part that i'm going to challenge of what you said is that traits are still normally distributed the talent that that would be a high performer in a more hunting hunting role are still out there it's just it's harder to find them you still need to make them identify with the mission with the vision yes for sure you need to help them grow they're gonna ask why yes sure um but so there are people out there with the natural talent still as much as they used to be it's just finding them you need to be it's not going to be the same way to find them anymore. But wouldn't you argue that
0: in some ways it's not it's not the same because, you know, there was a time when after school we went and played at the park and we actually got other interactions that like, you know, you go by the parks today. There's no kids on the playground. Like it's a completely different world, Justin. So how can it be exactly the same? How can that how can the social interaction how like how, how does that
2: rationalize out? Yep, because they're interacting differently. The social interactions is just different. They may not be out in the parks, but they may be, say, out in the malls. Instead, right there, the scene has changed. But you take a look at introversion and extroversion, the distribution. It's still a normal bell curve. There are still kids. You you take a look all the way down to when they're kids. You can still see the kids who like to be social and the kids who like to be introverted. Those basic traits have really do not change throughout generations. They are really consistent, right? But because the scene is different. You can't like, for example, in sales. I know one thing that I've seen a lot is, well, I like to see if they're if they've participated in sports because that means they're a team player. I've seen that a lot as a hiring criteria. I'm like, no, that doesn't that doesn't in- automatically mean that. They're broadening those definitions of what we're looking for mm-hmm. will help us find those individuals who fit. Right? Yes.
0: And I like you kind of you kind of hit it where like personality is so critical in some in some positions, right? You know, I like to say that I know within five minutes of meeting anybody, especially if it's an interview, whether or not they'd be good in business development or not, because the reality is somebody who's good in business development has this likability about them, that they just they radiate, it's literally who they are, you know, you can teach all the sales aspects behind it. The one thing that I can't teach is that likability aspect that they yeah. either have or they ha- or they don't
2: have. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where emotional intelligence plays a, a pretty good role. Yeah. Right. You call it likeability. I call it emotional intelligence. There's right. Yeah. It, it, it's kind, of, it, it's all hinting towards the same yeah. thing. It's yeah. 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 But so, yeah, it's, it's true. It's just like you said, some people are that or aren't. So
0: it, it can be a nature thing versus you know instead of a nurture thing per se is what you're kind of getting at and you know what you kind of hit something that's fairly relevant because i have i you know we have three boys and yeah you know two of them are very extroverted and one is very introverted and that's just how they were built (laughs) right exactly right i totally get what you're saying it it resonates very it resonates it hits home here
2: (laughs) yes yes and if you take a look at even take a look at your your two introverted sons um they may have different social preferences see that's you 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 hit the nail on the head a little bit earlier when you said there's a lot of things built there's a lot of options so being social in the past doesn't have to look the same and being social comparing brothers for example one could be social in one scene and there's multiple ways multiple scenes multiple avenues multiple ways to be social right and I've seen highly extroverted people and they love the, the video games. Yeah. That's traditionally associated with introverts. Right. Yeah, totally. But they're playing online together with their friends. They're socializing that yeah. way. Then they might go to school afterwards and talk about it with their friends kind of thing. Right. So.
0: Well, I always, I always laugh that I ended up in business development and I always kind of joke that business development kind of chooses you. Right. Nobody goes to yeah. school thinking about, it, especially <laughs> goes to business school thinking, I can't wait to be in business development. It just, yeah. yeah <laughs> happens right, but one day it kind of comes up and bites you in the ass. And you're like, "Holy crap! This is a job. This is a great job." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And right? Yeah, I've loved it ever since. I'm a huge advocate for it. Um, but as a as a person, before I got into the business development field, I was a very introverted person, which is kind of yeah. funny because, yeah, you would think like, yeah, I would say I would say socially, I was really good, but I definitely gravitated more towards alone things like i really enjoyed yes. building things or i really enjoyed you know like you said playing some games or whatever but i liked yes. my alone time very much yes and it's yes. very weird that uh that i ended up in the career that i'm in that that i host this podcast because you know young kelly was a very introverted kelly and yes. um yeah i i feel like ex- like extroversion can be learned it's it is a skill um, that, you know, I get better and better at with time, but I still, I still struggle. And I talk about it on the show quite regularly where, um, I fight social anxieties. So you put me in a room, you put me in a coffee with the chamber room or something like that. And I'm definitely fighting my own nature. (laughs) (laughs) Even though, even though, you know, you see Kelly on the podcast or you see Kelly right now, I'm a very bubbly, happy guy. I talk loud, you know, I, I fill up a room pretty quickly, but that's not who I always was, which is, interest
2: yes. it's also interesting because I'll, I'll give you an example um some of the best the best business development reps that i've ever seen are introverts because they have a different way of connecting with people they don't need to adapt the uh, adopt the the to traditional, outgoing, um, extroversion ways, they have a different way of connecting with people. And that has made them highly successful. So sometimes even if, say, you're introverted and you want to and you see business development, you're like, oh, wow. I think I could really do something with that. Your approach is going to be different from the approach of others in the field, but you can still be highly successful. And I think in the hiring side, when companies are looking at these individuals, that's where one consideration that I don't see being made. um, Well, this person's just a little too quiet or a little too introverted. And then they're, They're being passed up, right? But meanwhile, somebody else picks them up and they become a superstar. So The thing that made me really successful in business development, and you know, you might have hit
0: the nail on the head there, actually, and I get in trouble because I say that too much. But anyways, <laughs> um, one of the things that gets me in trouble, or well, one of the things, sorry, that, that's made me successful in business development is my ability to stick to a process, which is a very introverted thing, for sure. No question. Yeah. It's my ability to be able to do something repet- repetitively week over week, over week, over week, over week and sticking to it, which, yeah, I definitely take back to my time as a kid, you know, building, you know, remote controlled airplanes or whatever else. Like I loved those things. They're very introverted tasks. They're very like task oriented and you do a lot of work until it's done. And then you have this reward. Right. And I definitely taken that same aspect into my business development life where I recognized, you know, you know, you, you, you can make a few calls and you can get lucky. Or you can make a lot of calls on a regular basis and the, it's no longer luck, right? <laughs> exactly. And you can make yeah. your own luck, yeah. right? But it definitely is that that introverted side of me that can sit down and do that tedious task over and over and over yes. and over again until I'm successful.
2: Yeah. And that's also persistence. Sure, sure. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Justin, what are some of the organizational problems that when you come in and work with a new organization that you see on a regular basis?
2: Well, oh, that's I I get asked that one a lot. <laughs> that you. is. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, if I were to summarize it, there's many smaller problems that I see, but if I were to summarize it the first one the biggest one would be disconnect between the upper management say so your 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 senior your senior management your directors your your c levels and what's actually happening at the ground floor mm-hmm. so there was some research and i don't remember the numbers off the top of my head but it was a really interesting way that it flows down 100% of a c, of the c level The organization, when they make a decision, they the C level sit down in a meeting, they make a decision, they understand 100% of the details on it. As you move down throughout the organization, people understand it less and less and less. So now imagine if it's say 64% at the directors level and 32% at the management level. You're getting down to the bottom to the bottom level, and it's like, oh, like barely anyone understands the original mm-hmm. vision mm-hmm. so that's where communication comes into play as part of it, it, it there so i would call it that general disconnect yeah. and i've actually written an article about this because a lot of people ask me okay what's good versus bad corporate culture and i call it connected versus disconnected because you take a look at something like a toronto based street stock or new york stock exchange a hedge fund company they have a very different culture but that culture works for them and everybody understands the culture and that culture works for them they could be more competitive they can be a little bit more cutthroat but that's what makes everybody happy so i wouldn't consider it like you take that and move into somewhere else it could be considered toxic but for them it's a connected culture it works um it's when you have that disconnect so what i see a lot is is leadership moving in one direction yeah. and all the challenges that the individual contributors see they start moving in a different direction because they're like well we can't get to where leadership wants because we've got all these roadblocks so they move in the direction of t- typically least resistance right so okay uh, yeah so
0: what do, what do you do like and, and this is obviously, you're talking about a problem that doesn't happen at the beginning of an organization. It happens Correct. well after that organization has been established. Heck, maybe it's even been around 10, 15 years. And I totally see what you're saying. I've seen this over and over and over yeah. again. And you know, I, you know what I see? I see the CEOs sitting there thinking, okay, we, you know, we want to do this, but we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. Yep. Like what what would yep. you recommend to them? How do you even reconnect? How do you reestablish connection? How do you how do you reestablish yep. communication between the top
2: and your and your floor level workers? Yep. And that's where the, the the quickest and easiest solution that I've always seen is pay attention. Listen to what's happening. Ask you're at the C-level, and exactly what you said, in the smaller organizations, this this does happen still. I've seen organizations with 15 people, and this disconnect happens. Um, But, you know, at the beginning, you're starting off a solopreneur, two, three people. This tends not to happen because you're, having you're involved in the day-to-day. The yeah it's as you get separated from the day to day that you need to have those conversations. So I'll give you a good example. I know one CEO, um, about 250 people. Um, he goes around every one day a week. He has blocked out time on his calendar one day a week to go talk to a different department within the organization. Okay. Just go down go down. I mean, they've got like a 40 story building. He goes down to a different. So throughout the year, he's kind of connected with everybody and he just goes, walks into there, asks what's happening. What are they? What are some of the challenges? Ask questions. Get curious. And that's where where he's always had a good sense of what's needed, what are the struggles, what are the organization's struggles because he's having those conversations, and also he's built a relationship with all of those individuals throughout the the organization at the, at those many floors yeah. because he's going through and he's having conversations right down to like the warehouse. He is going to, to the warehouse and having a conversation with them, right? So multiple times a year he's he's made himself visible, he's gone, he's he's had those conversations to see what's going well, how can things be improved? And and they're casual conversations. They're not like formal sit-down interviews. It's like, oh hey, like this CEO can tell me the names of every single like employees chill. Child. child children all their children yeah. like they get to know them as people right sure because sure. like if you're looking at a typical organization like the one you're
0: speaking of there would be many senior and mid-level managers in between the ceo yes. and this floor level group of people is he bypassing yes. them what like because because the typical chain of command would be i'm going to talk to my senior executive who will tell me what is going on in the warehouse correct like yes yeah and that is yes. still the very typical standard you know structure of an organization, yes. But what you're saying is, if if he's constantly getting reports from that executive, he, there's still the disconnect.
2: There's still the disconnect. Yes, it's the disconnect and the personal relationship. The, he. Uh, I know from, from having conversations with him, he's like, I want to have that personal relationship. Even though we've expanded, we're much bigger now. I still want to have that connection. I still want to know people. I still want to know the know their, their them personally. So he goes and has those conversations. But what he's seen is he gets to also understand what's going on in those different areas. So he is bypassing them yes, but he also has their support in doing so. Everybody, all of his direct reports know all the directors know he's doing this he has conversations with them too right so it's just staying connected now i mean that's there's there's a lot involved in that that's not an easy thing to do that is something he purposefully wants to do he schedules the time in for it what i typically see within organizations for something easier solution within within an organization for that is is literally having somebody come in to some degree and do that so employee interviews employee engagement surveys like employee surveys things like that um i see larger organizations do that hr will put out employee survey or in my case of my clients i'll go in and and do those interviews and have those surveys and bring those findings I i see so having some sort of bridge some sort of way to connect to recreate that connection that's how you fix that disconnect. Do you find that
0: the employee surveys are accurate? Oh, yeah. 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 I always, I always it, wonder it, about it, that because there's definitely, you know, I mean, a fear, I think, whenever an employee survey comes around, and I get that we do them anonymously nowadays, but like yes.
2: yeah.
0: anonymous information is also like the internet. Right? Yes. Like, anyone can say anything and it has like, how do you know what is relevant data and what isn't when, if you're doing anonymous and then the flip side is if it's not anonymous,
2: there's going to be a fear of repercussion. And I, I feel like we're just, that's just yeah. built in. Yes. Yes. So first thing is always make them anonymous, okay. always make sure they're anonymous because if you have any fear of repercussion, then yeah, no one's going to reply. Yeah. Um, it's only going to be the most bold or the people who have one foot out the door that are going to be. Reply. Yeah. Um The thing that I always say is it, it, and excuse the language on this is shit and shit out. If you have that's that's one of the challenges. So so I say yes and I say yes confidently on yeah. that because I'm creating those those surveys. Sure. But if you create a bad survey, you get bad intel, Fair. right? So it really depends on the quality of the survey, but if there's that anonymity. It's a good quality survey, and especially if you're, like, it's HR that's administering or it's an external somebody. I I find somebody external really cranks up the response rates because this is something, whether or not they're working for the organization, this is something they have a vested interest in. This is something where they want their voice to be heard. They want to be heard and that's what usually helps with improving the getting those response and making sure it's not like the internet where it's just everybody spouting out everything they have the things that they see going well and that the, that they see are not going well and they want to be heard so that's where it helps but if it's coming from anywhere where they feel that it may not be anonymous. That's when you're going to see everybody pull
0: back. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree because you know I mean I feel I've been in those rooms where it's been anonymous and non anonymous, yeah. <laughs> and it's definitely yeah, a yeah. different idea, right? Like you're not yeah. even if even if you're seeing stuff, you may or may not speak up because you know you need your job or whatever. Right? Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> okay. So I want to get into culture shift. So you founded culture shift right in the middle of COVID. What was it? February of 2020? (laughs) February
2: 2020. Yep. Right before COVID. Yeah.
0: Talk to me. (laughs) I founded, I founded Capital in December of 2020. So I'm right there with you. So, but I I love these stories. I have a vested interest in hearing them.
2: You know, what, what, why then? Why did you start culture shift then? Yeah. Um, I really, I saw things were starting to hit critical mass things were starting and, 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 I, we knew of COVID at that point, and it was like, oh, people are going to need help with this. To be honest, in February 2020, I was personally I was thinking, oh, you know, this is going to be something maybe a couple weeks. Yeah, that's it, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, like all of <laughs> And then and then and then next thing we know, two years later. But I knew just from the scope of it, honestly, that a lot of organizations were going to need help. We're going to need help adapting. We're going to need help adjusting. It's going to be a new way of of approaching things. And the large organizations, your multinationals, your nationals, we're going to have no problems finding help with that. They've they've got their consultants. They know they're going to be doing that. Um, It was those say those mid-sized and those smaller organizations and those not-for-profits that were going to be having to navigate this on their own and that's where i really started to to specialize at that that time where i started to streamline towards those 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 organizations because i knew they were the ones who were going to be left without the support and potentially needed more of it because they didn't have the internal expertise yeah. right so that's where where I started culture shift because I knew this was coming. I stayed a little bit one step ahead. I'm uh, I mean full-time role. I was I was I'm an organizational psychologist, so I kind of looked and I saw what is this going to do over the next short term? What happens if this goes on long term? I was not expecting it to go on long term. But was. I always <laughs> ask that question, it's that curiosity. What happens if? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so that's where I was like, okay. I I there needs to be a way for people to to get this help. There needs to be somebody who can help them. Let me join that pool of resources for this organize for those organizations yeah
0: i i want to i want to keep on this culture shift because i want to know the full ins and outs of of the organization and what you do with it but you you hit on something just given covid right um yes one of the first challenges you must have run into which frankly as a world we'd never run into before was entire offices working from home. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> what What? What was that like? That must have been like, no one saw that coming. So, you know, how, how did you handle that when organizations are like, oh my gosh, how do we keep connected with
2: all of our employees when we're not even seeing them? Yeah. And I think mostly what I handled wasn't the technology side. It was like, okay, well, you know, here's some IT people that can help you with the technology side. But it was that getting comfortable with it. And also rolling out the process properly. So I'll, I'll give you an example of an organization that I've seen. They, the rollout was not great. Um, they rolled it out in such a way they thought was was a strategic and organized way. Um, I can't go into the details on it, but they rolled it out in a way, and it actually created organization-wide infighting. Oh, wow. Um, And that's where where the rollout impacted morale, impacted turnover, impacted employee, like just just the general quality of life of employees generally. Um, So that's where part of it was, how do we do this rollout and then how do we get used to working from home how do we adapt to this how do we how do we how do we, how do we communicate efficiently mm-hmm. through a virtual online and i mean throughout my 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 history working i've always had the option of working from home so for me it was this is just like nothing new yeah. i was already doing this sometimes once a week twice a week right if it if it was raining too hard out and i i I grew up in toronto if it was raining or snowing too hard out and i didn't want to go through that massive commute to get to the office it was like okay i'm just gonna work from home right so for me it was it was a comfortable environment it was a familiar environment and that's where it's helping others understand that it can still work actually it can actually help your productivity if you, if you do it right. right. It can help your productivity, but it can still work. And that was the first hurdle, getting people over that. It's like, what do we do? We've never not had people in the office. Mm-hmm. So how do we how do we work with this? Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Like for me, it was a heck of a shift because, you know, I mean, I, I'd worked at offices my entire life. So for me, home was my space. Right. And it's like, yes, I really had to compartmentalize. What I did is I, you know, I put all my equipment in a room. And I basically made that room my workroom. And when I went well, in, shut the door, uh, you know, I I, yeah. I dressed as I would for work. I didn't change anything. I tried to I realized fairly quickly that in order for this to be successful for me, I needed to make a space. I've gotten much better at it over time. But initially, yeah. I had a lot of trouble working from home. And I'm, I know I'm not alone. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And that was for some individuals. It was it was what works for you. Like, for example, for me, when it came to permanent work from home, I worked for my couch. I had no separation of of of, of work and, and home because I could do that mentally. Mm-hmm. So once I – I mean, some people did this where at the end of the day, they take a walk around the block to simulate their commute, yeah. right? Yeah so i would always engage in something that would be considered a home activity to to trigger that switch from work to home so for me it was kind of like i can work from anywhere and part of my part of my work in the past uh working in uh, working with some of the reality tv shows i was in hotels yeah. so um, I had to learn how to work from anywhere really, and, and merge the two and then create that hard separation. Yeah, right. Yeah, so no, for sure, it was tough.
0: I, uh, I definitely struggled with it. I've gotten considerably better at it, you know, over the last three years, but when it initially happened, I probably had like a six month where like my productivity, you know, probably shit the bed a little bit just because yep. I was working in a location that normally was my fun location. It was my space. Yes. Right. And so to try to get mentally shifted into the right headspace to do work effectively and efficiently, literally, I got to a point, Justin, where I just locked myself in a room for eight hours and I did work and I left and I I only left the room to grab coffees.
2: Like that's literally, (laughs) that was how it worked. Go to the bathroom, grab coffee, Uh, get back to it. There you go. Everybody had to find their way, their shift, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and that's where, where a lot of during, yeah, straight into the beginning of culture shift, that's where a lot of companies needed that help. Yeah. Um, right off the bat. Oh, I bet. Like
0: your timing could, like, ironically, your timing couldn't have been more perfect. <laughs> 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 so take me into culture shift as an organization now. What are some of the services that you offer?
2: Yep. Um, so, so my main two are recruit, recruitment and retention um that's that's basically for so for the recruitment side how do we refine our processes so i'll give you a good example for the biz dev side um identifying who's going to be a somebody good for that role whether it's marketing whether it's sales it's different for each role identifying and that's where i bring in some of those high quality personality tests to really help with that um identifying the traits that they have the areas that they are going to walk in as strengths the areas that they're that they can get some extra development in in order to get up the role because you're never going to find a perfect candidate. you bet so that's where i help with that side of things um And then in the retention side, it's everything from investigations. So interviews with people to employee surveys. Those tend to be the two most common things that people that that companies come to me for. Um, I do other things like diversity and inclusion, like a little bit of high potential coaching also as needed. They're typically solutions on top of something else. So um, succession planning is something that I do have quite a bit of expertise in also so that's something that i've been working on but really right now it's a lot for the recruiting and a lot for the retention side perfect perfect uh so like <clears throat> if some what, what about like
0: culture as well so like what if a company is absolutely struggling with their culture like you said they have that maybe that disconnect and they're trying to yeah. you know in 2023 it's never been more important for ceos to have a forward face and that's not yep. just with, you know, the external public, but it's actually with their employees as well, right? You yes, know, like one yes. of the great things about this podcast is I get to have that real connection with not only my customers, but actually what my employees listen to the show too, right?
2: Yeah. So okay. We, awesome. Yeah, we, <laughs> have,
0: we have a great time. We have lots of conversations. I use a lot of the material, you know, like as you guys know, if you listen to this show on a regular basis, we provide a lot of really great learning material with regards to business development that's just as relevant for my employees as it is for, yeah. and my customers for that matter, as it is for you, the listener. And so there's ways to connect now that just never existed before. However, there's also obligations for, for leaders in business to have a yeah. more outward face. Whereas before that just was not the case at all. You know, if you learned about a yeah. CEO, you learned about it because of write up in Forbes, not, not because
2: they, yeah. <laughs> they have a social platform. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, 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 uh, if, if a company is co- feeling disconnected, they're usually seeing in other challenges. No company has come to me and said, we've got a disconnected culture, right? It's usually they've come to me and said, we have an abnormally high turnover. Mm. We're, we're struggling to retain people. We're struggling to find people. So typically, that's what they come to me with their challenges with. We can't find people. We can't keep people um or in some cases honestly some some of them said we want to prevent this from happening we've we've got great employees we've got a great culture we want to know how to keep it this Mm -hmm. way and how we can improve it that's where we get in sometimes get into the like the diversity inclusion kind of side yeah that's right yeah i'm gonna put you on the spot here a little bit If you could give just one
0: piece of advice to any organization to improve their culture, what would that be? Listen to your employees listen to your employees yeah it's it
2: seems very easy doesn't it (laughs) yeah it it, it sounds easy it requires effort it requires time yeah i know i know uh, i said it really quickly (laughs) and i said it really really casually right (laughs) but um it it does take a bit of effort but you know what in the end that effort is totally worth yeah. it because you imagine you're a ceo coming in and say you're in the office or, or you're connecting with people online and you see a happy environment a happy workplace where people are are and like i'll I'll give an example i've seen this where people are not drinking at their desk where if you open their bottom drawer it's not just loaded with alcohol Mm -hmm. right where where people are happy and and they like what they're doing when you have you walk in as a ceo into a environment like that there's pride there's there is a sense of satisfaction on that one so it's it, it is amazingly powerful Awesome. Awesome. Well, you hit the nail on the head, Justin. Listen to your employees. I think you're I
0: think you're 100 percent on point, especially moving forward. Right. Like the reality is, is that, you know, with with the way things are changing in business, um, we need to make sure that we have a happy work culture. We need to make sure that our employees are feeling engaged, challenged and that, um, you know, they're feeling valued for sure. Exactly. So, Justin, if uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you and uh, they want
2: to engage culture shift consulting, how do they go about doing that? Um, best way typically is to email me. Just just reach out, Justin at CultureShiftConsulting.ca. Um, uh, Kelly, we, you can provide that easily. You have my email. Uh, um, the other way is reach out to me on LinkedIn, Justin Dionerine, organizational psychologist. Just send me a message or connect with me there. Um, more than happy to chat. Uh, that that that's the two easiest ways to get awesome. me. Um, third option is my website cultureshiftconsulting.ca. There's a contact me. It goes straight to my email. So. Perfect, perfect.
0: <laughs> and uh, maybe just give me just for our listeners uh, list just a couple of challenges if they're facing it that they might want to reach out to you for. Just
2: uh, what are some key some key things that if they're seeing they need to call you. Yep. Uh, struggling with finding the right person in that hiring side in that recruiting side. Um, having a hard time keeping people and that retention side or you're 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 doing everything well and you just want to take it up to the next level. How do we make our culture better? Perfect. Perfect. Amazing. Well, thank
0: you, Justin. This has been an amazing interview. Thank you so much for educating me on organizational <laughs> psychology. It's been a great conversation. If you guys have any challenges with corporate culture, hiring, that sort of thing, um, you can always contact Justin. He'll definitely help you out. Until next time, this has been Episode 54 of the Business Development Podcast, and we will catch you
1: on the flip side. This has been the The Business Development Development Podcast with Kelly Kennedy. Kennedy. Kelly has 15 years in sales and business development experience within the Alberta oil and gas industry and founded his own business development firm in 2020. His passion and his specialization is in customer relationship generation and business development. The show is brought to you by Capital Business Development, your business development specialists. For more, we invite you to the website at www.capitalbd.ca. See you next time on the Business Development Podcast.
0: Business rock stars. we at the Business Development Podcast humbly invite you to be part of our journey. Despite our global reach spanning over 130 countries and our status as an award-winning show, we remain committed to delivering valuable insights and engaging content to our audience of decision makers. With two episodes released every single week and a back catalog of over 100 episodes, we strive to provide our listeners with the latest strategies and trends in business development and business growth. Why consider sponsoring us? Our listeners trust us to deliver authentic, informative content, making it an ideal platform for you to showcase your brand in a genuine and meaningful way. Choose from flexible sponsorship packages tailored to fit your advertising needs. With a back catalog of over 100 episodes and an average of 8 new episodes released every single month, there are plenty of opportunities for you to connect with our audience. If you believe that your brand aligns with our humble mission, reach out to us at podcast at capitalbd.ca. Let's start a conversation and explore how we can collaborate to elevate your brand together. Thank you for considering us. Send us an email at podcast at capitalbd.ca and let's partner for the future.